Welcome back to First Touch. I am Tyler Brook, joined alongside Nate Canan. Uh, Nate, uh, exciting episode today. Yeah, I'm super excited about today's episode. We have a lot of great content uh, coming at you. Of course, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the matches that we watched this week, as well as having to mention that uh, Liverpool has been crowned champions of the Premier League. Yeah. Coming up in the middle of the episode, though, we will be talking about the return to play strategy for the MLS. And we have a very special guest, the former United States men's national team player, Jimmy Conrad. He's going to be joining the First Touch podcast to give a little bit of perspective on that, as well as talking a little bit about what he's been up to and some of the things about his life. We're going to get to all of that, but as Nate is very much aware, what I want to talk about more than anything is Liverpool finally, after 30 years, being crowned Premier League champions. Yep, 1990 was the last time that Liverpool won a championship like this back in England. Of course, they are coming off their Champions League win of last season, but it's their first Premier League title, and they joined the ranks of Leicester, Blackburn, Manchester United, and Manchester City of being crowned Premier League champions. As well as Arsenal, Feels- I just needed to throw them in last because, yeah. <laughs> just an afterthought. We don't have to talk about Arsenal if you don't want, Nate. That's fine. Uh, I just want to talk about both matches that ended up sealing Liverpool's fate. Um, you know, after that draw Liverpool had in the first match back in Project Restart to Everton, it was a little disappointing. was worried if they were going to be rusty coming back. And then all of that went away as soon as they started playing Crystal Palace. Everyone was locked in, and you know it was that dream lineup. Salah was back out there. Robertson was back out there. And all the goals they scored were just you know something else. The connection between them, Fabinho's, I like to call it a piss missile, with how hard he hit that ball. It was um, quite a strike. Yeah, it just, you know, an amazing turn of events after that 0-0 draw. A 4-0 win against Crystal Palace. They seemed locked in from the start. You know, it may not have been fun for a lot of people, but just seeing that kind of dominance again was just awesome for me to see. I think what's worth mentioning, though, is is how great that match was. It actually didn't come down to the outcome of this match. It was what was more important on the line for Liverpool being crowned championship of the Premier League was actually the loss uh, or draw of Man City to Chelsea. And Chelsea uh, is definitely worth mentioning here because the American superstar, uh, Christian Pulisic, was the one to start the goal scoring during that match. That was a really weird match, man. You know, a 2-1 loss to Man City. And one of the big reasons they beat Man City 2-1 was all these mental lapses by City. You know, Pulisic with that opening goal, uh, Fernandinho getting a red card and getting sent off on a penalty kick. Um, just, you know, a lot of mistakes for a team that, you know, for the majority of that game looked like they were locked in. I mean, you look at De Bruyne's goal on that free kick, a lot of the passing they were making. It just goes to show you in that game, you know, you could be the most polished team in the world, but you have a couple mental lapses and everything falls apart. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that red card for a second, because just painting the picture of what happening was, it was a high press in the box, uh, lots of activity going around, and it was a last-ditch effort by the defender who then swatted the ball out of the air, which is an automatic red card. I I just got to side with him on this. It's like, what do you do in that instance? There's a lot on the line. There's probably a lot going on in his head. And it was a pretty gutsy move that obviously was going to end with not only you being ejected from the game, 
but then also the opponent does have the opportunity to take a penalty kick. I think that in that moment, he was just relying on the skill of his goalkeeper to hopefully make that save. It is definitely something reckless that I, I personally dislike seeing because it takes away the, the finesse and the actual technical skill of the game. But w- when his back's against the wall, what else are you going to do other than you know tr- yeah. draw a penalty? It, it's hard to blame him. I mean, there were two sequences like this where Chelsea got, you know, three or four shots on goal and there was just chaos in the box. And yeah, you're right. That was a last ditched effort. Uh, I do want to talk about this, though, you know, as an American sports fan. I talked about this with my uh, other friends that are Liverpool fans. I, I, I wanted City to win that. I wanted Liverpool to play for the title and actually play for it. This whole concept of winning the league without playing just felt weird to me. And I get it that it's common and it happens all the time. I get there's no playoffs. It's just weird to me that you're sitting on your couch, you're rooting for another team, and then even without playing that you win the league. Yeah, that's definitely a huge contrast and probably what takes a lot of just casual American fans to kind of get over a a hump of how does somebody win the championship in these European leagues? Because there is no playoff structure for the most part. That's That's why we have these other cups. That's why we have things like the FA Cup or the Champions League Cup, because that is more of a bracket style playoff system the single elimination or multiple elimination depending upon what leg that it's in. But in this instance, and as well as many instances that has come before this, is you will reach a point within the league where you have enough victories that somebody else needs to lose to, uh, and somebody needs to beat your second place opponent for you to then take the championship. It's a little bit weird because you know we're used to like, for example, let's say like raising of the Stanley Cup in the NHL. What a great moment after a hard-fought best-of-five series that you then get to see the team lift the trophy and pass it upon, and they're you know covered in sweat from a hard match or a hard game. Whereas what we witnessed in this past week was the Liverpool squad in a hotel, then celebrating a victory of Chelsea, spraying champagne around, and you know it's it's a great celebration, but it's just a little odd because you don't get to see them you know actually walk off the field with that sense of victory. I have no right to complain, to be completely honest. And honestly, I think if anything, I really did enjoy all the videos of all the players and Klopp celebrating, you know, Alexander Arnold trying to give a professional interview and then Robertson and Oxlade Chamberlain bombing the interview while getting drunk. I mean, they're all clearly uh, a little lit. You know, you got some videos of Klopp dancing. Uh, Honestly, just an exciting time for the fans in the city. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about this later this week. We'll have a a separate episode just kind of celebrating Liverpool since, you know, that is my fandom. Uh, I just real quick before we start getting into, you know, this MLS return to action, wanted to mention trash of the week. Nate, just some, the best way to put it is just fucking dumbassery. Yeah, the best way to put it is just that it's absolutely horrible, and this is pure trash. And what we're talking yeah. about is the terrible instance of someone flying over that um, match between Burnley and Manchester City, flying a plane that says, White Lives Matter Burnley. Burnley then quickly put out a public response, uh, shutting down this action as a matter of hate and turning it over to the local authorities. But what absolute pure trash of a person to do that. Yeah, we end every show saying there's no room for racism. We don't want to draw too much attention to it except for congrats, dumbass, you're trash of the week. Moving forward, obviously we want to talk about MLS. This is way more exciting, you know, uh, return to play. We're getting some Major League Soccer back starting July 8th. 
Yeah, let's break down the group stages a bit. So how many uh, groups in total do we have? So there are six groups. Uh, one of the groups being Group A has six teams. The other five groups have four teams. So the plan is for them to each be playing three matches. For the other five groups, you know, it's just three matches against the other opponents. It's a random draw in the group of six and group A of those three matches. Basically, the top three teams from group A and the top two teams from the other groups are going to advance to a knockout stage along with the next three highest ranked teams. And then essentially it's just a single elimination tournament to determine the winner. The winner actually gets a spot in the CONCACAF Champions League. Yeah, it's great seeing that there is some stake in the game for this tournament because after this tournament, the regular season will commence. Uh, a lot of good matches coming out of this, uh, especially within the Group A stages for myself. I really enjoy seeing a bit of a Florida derby where we have Orlando City uh, facing Inter-Miami. And this was actually the preferred match from the MLS, and it did leak before the draw. And it's really like the MLS is doubling down on some of its own rivalries. And this is really great because... Given the rivalry that Orlando has with Atlanta has been very one-sided over the past couple of seasons, it's a good chance to see these two teams transition to a little bit of friction on the pitch. Yeah, there's a couple other things I'm looking at. Uh, you know, I was a big Thierry Henry fan growing up. I really enjoyed watching him play. So excited to see his uh, new team. You know, he's managing Montreal Impact. Uh, that'll be a really interesting match between them and Toronto. You know, you got another Canadian rivalry right there. Uh, but I think far and away the biggest match to talk about uh, is going to be El Trafico uh, between the LA Galaxy and LAFC. You know, I think the big thing to look at in El Trafico, you've got you know, Chicharito uh, and Carlos Vela playing. Carlos Vela just went off last year in 33 matches, 36 goals and 11 assists. Uh, he just plays with a lot of spark. Two of Mexico's finest uh, going against each other in you know an LA rivalry. Uh, I think far and away that's the most exciting match to me. I will be sitting down blocking off time to watch that one. Yeah, the Group F that both of those clubs fall into is arguably one of the toughest. You also see the Houston Dynamo as well as the Portland Timbers. And something to mention about Vila, he has every right to opt out of this play because his wife is actually expecting um, they're they're pregnant. Oh, wow. Uh, I could fully understand then if he decides not to play. But he, uh, especially with everything time, he's right playing. Now. That's his decision. I, I can't even imagine what's going to go on. You know, hopefully we still get to see him play, but, you know, I don't think anyone's going to blame him if he has to leave. Not at all. And something to also mention as well is that this tournament is going to be held in Florida. Yeah, it's weird that them and the NBA are still trying to play seasons with everything going on in Florida with the cases spiking. Very interesting to see how those bubbles are handled. So far, the way the Europeans are handling a return-to-play strategy is going without any problems around the the leagues themselves. So hopefully the continued success from that reopening will also match our sports reopening here in the United States. Well, you know, with all this MLS stuff, uh, I think it's important that we bring in our expert to talk about this. Jimmy Conrad is joining us right now to talk a little MLS, some U.S. men's national team, uh, and just the development of Americans in general. We are here, uh, man of the hour. We got Jimmy Conrad on, uh, former MLS defender of the year, former U.S. men's national team player. Uh, Jimmy, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Jimmy, just got to say what a joy that it is to have you on the First Touch podcast. Uh, 
Uh, we are here to talk about some MLS as well as some uh, United States national soccer with us today. But first, I want to give our listeners a little brief 101 on who Jimmy is. I definitely recommend to check out his YouTube video titled Draw My Life, Jimmy Conrad. It's a very interesting medium of kind of what you would say, like maybe like a Pictionary type drawing meets your life story of a bit of a humble beginnings with a family of seven siblings to how you overcame a lot of doubt in your college career where you eventually end up winning a national championship. Only then you were passed on some MLS scouts and then through your hard work and tenacity, you eventually got your shot and ended up in the United States men's national team. And I just got to mention, given our name as the First Touch podcast, I uh, heard that you practiced your first touch with a tennis ball. <laughs> what was the mental grind for you back then? So I'm happy to come on this podcast anytime. That was a fantastic intro. Uh, thank you so much for, <laughs> for building me up. Uh, the Draw My Life, the draw my life uh, has resonated with a lot of people, so I appreciate you giving that a shout out. With regard to my first touch and my mentality, I got some great advice from Marcelo Balboa's dad, of all people. When I was a kid, about 15, my, my youth coach brought him over, identified him at a tournament and said, hey, Louis Balboa, can you come talk to my kids? You know, it'd be really cool to get some insight. And you could just see his reluctance because I think he gets asked that a lot. But he grace, graciously, excuse me, came over. And like any kid at that age, you know, and I knew who Marcelo Balboa was. I had the old soccer Americas and, and I was very in tune with with our best players, my hand shot up and I get the same question today, by the way. And well, and, and I asked, how did Marcelo play in a world cup? How do he play in two world cups? And for me, and you guys will probably find this out if you haven't already, I like to talk. So I'd give you a 30 minute answer, you know, <laughs> but, but, but Louie looks at me and he goes, Oh, he just went and worked on his game every day for two hours at the park. And that was it. Guy moved on to the next question that changed my life. Uh, a light bulb came over my head. I thought about that a lot. I wasn't even really paying attention anymore to all the other questions. I was listening, but that was what I needed to hear in some ways. And what I realized at that moment was it was up to me to decide how good I was going to be at anything. It wasn't up to anybody else. And that was really empowering. Now, and I say that in the draw of my life as well, but, but what's hard, and I think where people, now people, when I say that, people just think, oh, well, cool. Then you went on and worked really hard and did all this stuff, but there's so much uh, meat in, in the details and so I'm like, cool, I can go do that. I can go to a park and work on my first touch and work on all this stuff. But you get out there, I go to the school by my house and I didn't know what to do. You know, it's one thing yeah. to be told. I, I just had no idea. And, and I think what was interesting was, and, and the biggest mental hurdle I had to get over was I had to face up to how good I really was at the game. In my mind at 15, you think, ah, dude, I'm all right. You know, we, I was on a pretty good club team. I was a pretty vital member of that club team. Some days I'd have good days. Some days I'd have bad days, whatever. You know, there wasn't like this. I wasn't trying to push to, to be something better. I, I mean, I was at that time. I mean, you kind of think you are and your coach is kind of really, I think, giving you that external pressure to keep pushing. But I, don't, I, I guess I had it a little bit inside. Maybe I'm selling myself short. But I went out there and I, I'm like, okay, I think I need to work on my left foot. Dude, I was so bad, guys. I was so bad at my left foot. <laughs> I went home after 10 minutes because I was so embarrassed. Imagine being embarrassed when there's nobody around you. Like there's nobody <laughs> at the school. Like nobody's even seen how bad you are. But you are just embarrassed because you have to face up to the fact that you're not as good as you thought you were. So I just thought, you know what? It's easier for me to go home and play video games with my friends than to actually work on my game and try to get better at something. So that was the big challenge. And I think the biggest 
thing that that happened for me and, and now it still informs my decisions when what I do now I got back out there again I kept pushing myself I'm like okay that hurt but nobody was out there and I went out back out there and again it's 10 minutes I still didn't really know what to do there's no YouTube at that time there's no one of these you know uh freestylers that you can watch and try to emulate or whatever you know people like to consume so I went out there and just started to develop my own games and I slowly started to get better just just a little just enough for the buy-in to be real and, and this is against your own teammates and all of a sudden you're you're starting to relax a little bit more. And this speaks to the first touch, right? All of a sudden, you're a little bit more calm when the ball, ball is coming to you. You're a lot more confident. And, and you know where that first touch is going to go, which then unlocks everything, right? Because if you can create enough time to, even if it's a half second, to then make that pass that you couldn't make before or, or hold somebody off or not feel nervous when somebody's trying to pressure you, it changes everything. So then I started to think, cool, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit better. I wonder what would happen if I, if I went out there for 20 minutes. I'd probably be twice the player, you know? And so <laughs> then what's another thing too is, and this was still, you know, work in progress, but one of the other mental things that, that I learned through this process was the fact that I started to ask my coach for things I should work on. And that changed how I think it, for me as a player in terms of being coachable and not fighting and resisting the, the, the critique and the criticisms that he's giving me, as opposed to me now kind of absorbing the information in a different way going, this is going to help me get better. I want to get better. How do I get better? And when you take that information and really use it in a positive way, it's like, oh, you got to work on your left foot or your, you know, that, that your two touch, you know, kind of getting it out of your feet and having an idea where you want to go once you do get it out of your feet, especially as a center back or an outside back at that time, uh, was really important to hear. So there was a lot of mental things that were going on. And I think what the drug is in some ways is that once you start to feel yourself getting better and you start getting better than everybody else, that just extrapolates. So all of a sudden, I, by the end of it, I was outside for an hour, hour and a half every day. Then I'm like, oh, wow, what if I started running? I bet you I'd be fitter. And what if I started lifting? I bet I'd be stronger. You know, and you start to kind of piece all these things together. Um, wanted to ask you, you know, you talked a lot about self-development. It is really interesting talking about you know, how much you can develop on your own. Is there anyone in particular that helps you develop your game, you know, besides yourself, anyone you want to give a shout out to? Well, my youth coach, I had, a, I, I honestly was very fortunate to have some very good youth coaches, guys that, that cared. Uh, and you kind of love the game because they love the game. You saw what, what excited them about it. You know, just the, the subtlety and nuance of the game. And that's what gets me all fired up too. And I, I don't know if anybody sees my Coach Jimmy stuff that I put on Twitter or Instagram, but a defensive freak, right? So when I see bad defending, I, I just lose my mind. Ultimately, I'm trying to protect U.S. soccer and, and build them up because every, you know, there's a bunch of Euro snobs out there. Oh, U.S. soccer and MLS suck, you know? And then you see some crap defending or some terrible team defending by, you know, world-class teams. They're like, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I think these plays happen everywhere. We just don't <laughs> highlight those ones. We just talk about Messi and Ronaldo all the time, you know, or the Premier League. So... You know, I, I uh, try to make sure that people understand that. Well, you were talking a little bit about defending American soccer, and you know, Nate did some research uh, leading into this. Feels as good of a time as any to bring up, uh, you know, you defending U.S. soccer, Nate. This might be a burning question. It might force you to look back a couple of years. 
But first, one thing I want to say, one reason why I was so excited to have you on the show is that you definitely have been a vocal defender for the sport of soccer in the United States for the very beginning. Um, back in 2012, you got into a bit of a disagreement with the uh, UFC president, uh, Dana White. Uh, <laughs> during interview, he basically said that soccer could be played by a three-year-old and it was embarrassing <laughs> for anyone to walk off the pitch with like a three-to-one win because the net's so big or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and I remember that you challenged him to play a game of soccer with you and he accepted, but whatever became of that. <laughs> so yeah, that Dana White, what a piece of work. So <laughs> the best part about that whole thing was we ended up finding video and that really sold the whole thing. Had he just said it, I guess, even if he had said it, we'd saw it somewhere in print and, and that probably would have been enough, but to have it on video really took it to the next level. And we took him to task and, and he, in, in fairness to him, he, he came out and owned it and said, you're right. Because um, essentially the crux of my messaging was, if even three-year-olds can play this game, then Dana White, you should arguably be the, be the best player in the world. And soccer Twitter, as soccer Twitter does, started to pile on. Uh, I love soccer Twitter, especially American <laughs> soccer Twitter. So they started piling on fairly, in my opinion. And he, he owned it and said, fine, let, let's play. Now, at that time, I was based in New York City with Kick TV, and he didn't have a license to, to fight yet. Uh, UFC fights weren't allowed to, to be held in New York City at that time, and there was a lot of disagreements with Bloomberg or, I guess, and then eventually de Blasio. They got it all figured out, and he got there, but I told him. We ended up talking on the phone. I talked to him on the phone like three times. It's crazy. Really? He still follows me on Twitter. Yeah, it's really funny. So I, we're DMing, and then we talk on the phone. He goes, hey you know, let's do this. Let's do something. I said, well, listen, listen, you got a bunch of Brazilian fighters. I'm sure you have other fighters that love to play. Let's just get them out there, do something for fun. I'll go get a bunch of local three-year-olds to come out and play you guys. <laughs> and, and, and then we'll have a great game, you know, um, and it'll be, you know, we could raise money for charity or whatever it is. I know you, you probably want to create some goodwill in New York city. So why not use this event to make it happen? And he said, no, no that's a good idea. Let's continue to talk about it. So I called him again. And he texts me and he goes, hey, I'm hanging out with, uh, was it Olivia Wilde, I think he said? And I was like, yeah, that's great. Let's, that, that sh I, she, I'm sure she's wonderful. Can we, can we, let's just continue to finish this conversation. And then it just died. It didn't go anywhere, unfortunately. Um, but uh, yeah, it was fun. And I'm glad you brought that story up. I hadn't talked about it in a while. And, and uh, anytime you can put uh, someone like Dana White on blast, it, it's a good feeling. <laughs> well, again, we do really appreciate you trying to expand the game, you know, here domestically. You know, obviously that's what we're trying to do, trying to cover, you know, the game in all leagues internationally. But obviously we wanted to spend time this episode focusing on uh, MLS return to play. This format's pretty interesting. We talked a little bit earlier on the show about it, this group stage, kind of like, a, you know, a knockout tournament. What are your thoughts on this new format? I think it's a tournament and a format that's about survival. It's about getting all the teams back in one spot and trying to make it happen. Obviously this is an unprecedented situation. The NBA is going to be doing, I think something similar. The NWSL is getting started first, you know, and, and really taking the lead. So I'm pretty proud of them for doing that. But yeah, the format is what it is. I, I wish they just would have named it MLS world cup. Uh, I think that would have been cool to kind of play on that Bastian Schweinsteiger joke about the Chicago fire, you know, if they're <laughs> going to win the world cup now that he joins. So I think they could have had maybe a little bit more fun with the title per se, but MLS back does stick in the craw and it is what it is. I mean, I'm not looking too hard at it. I think it's, it's a, it's a competition. I actually like that. There's a CONCACAF champions league berth. 
yeah. uh, at the end of it for the champion. I like that there's some stakes on it. So that that in itself, I think, is a is pretty cool, and I think will add to the juice and, and motivation for guys. But ultimately, I'm glad we have something to talk about, something to and, te- and teams to cheer for, and it'll be interesting to see. Ultimately, um, obviously, COVID is blowing up in Florida, continues to rise in the cases, and and uh, yeah, you just wonder how that's all going to play out, and and if if the bubble is strong enough uh, for them not to get permeated in any way. So. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you got to take a swing to find out. I was pretty critical of the Bundesliga when they got started. I thought it was pretty arrogant in general for them to feel like they can control the uncontrollable at that point. But, you know, in fairness to them, and I got to give it up, they've, they've done a good job and, and minimized the risk. And I assume MLS and all the other leagues that are following suit are taking a lot of notes from the Bundesliga. Yeah, uh, it, they just wrapped up today, too, uh, at the time of recording this. Um, so pretty impressive. Um, the one thing I do want to talk about, obviously the MLS is trying to get as much attention on this as possible. Uh, and there are some critics that have kind of criticized the whole draw of the tournament. Cause it really seems kind of convenient that, you know, we have in these group matches, you know, we have El Trafico, we have Montreal, Toronto, we've got Orlando, Miami. Uh, people are saying it might be rigged. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah. My, I guess my initial thought is so what, you know, when Seth Blatter came out and said that some of the, the balls and the thing that Louis Figo always seems to be the guy that draws from, um, the, the some are warm and cold. I mean, you know, that's all you need to hear is when one of the biggest uh, corrupt dudes of all time is is confirming that there is corruption even at UEFA level. So yeah, I don't. Whatever. I mean, those are the matches I want to see. I don't want to see, you know, yeah. Orlando versus Salt Lake. I want I want to see games with some juice on it. So yeah, I'd prefer to see the rivalries anyway. And if anybody's complaining about it, they're just looking for something to complain about. I mean, everyone's always looking for something to complain about at this point, it feels <laughs> That's like. That's true. I agree with you wholeheartedly. It's just kind of nice, especially right off the bat, having some big matches for everyone to get excited about. Uh, one of the things that might be difficult for some more, you know, casual soccer fans or people that don't watch the MLS, you know, sometimes some of the bigger draws are, you know, these older superstars, you know, like Zlatan or Schweinsteiger. You know, outside of like Chicharito, uh, we don't have a ton of guys this year that, you know, have big names before heading into the MLS. Anyone like a casual soccer fan that's not too knowledgeable of the MLS should be keeping an eye on once this comes back? Oh, man, that is a great question. I mean, I think you just kind of look down the list of, of teams. You know, I, I love Ladero in Seattle. You know, he's a, he's a player that's very good. Diego Valeri in Portland. You know, they're all these uh, playmakers that, that really make their teams go. They're always super fun to watch. Obviously, Carlos Vela, who's the reigning league MVP. Yeah, he's LAFC. just been going off. He's been going off and, and uh, really enjoying himself. I think that's the coolest part about watching Carlos Vela play is that he looks like he's enjoying himself. Absolutely. And you can't say that about a lot of players, you know? And I think that that is contagious, right? When you have, you have players that are really enjoying themselves. And yes, I know there's a knock on MLS being a retirement league or whatever, but if you have an opportunity to maybe bring a guy over that's going to help kind of maybe raise the visibility of your team, I think it's worth a shot. I was actually pleasantly surprised by Wayne Rooney just because of his work effort. I mean, he just went for it and, and he's a good leader and he cares. And, and I think that was really impressive in, in a lot of different ways. We've seen other players like Rafa Marquez who look like he could give a shit, um, you know, and, and I think, <clears throat> I think that hurts. That hurts the league. You know, when he, when you, you take a risk on one of those guys and all you need them to do is care, just care about the process. But when they don't have time for it or disrespectful on the field or, dismissing their teammates or whatever it is that's just not a good look but I guess that's that's part of it some signings work out and some don't and that happens all over the world um yeah I think there's just a 
a negative perception about MLS. And, and as you mentioned before, I try to do everything that I can on my platforms to say, listen, I respect everything that's happening around the world. But this league deserves respect, too. There are some very talented players in this league. It continues to grow and evolve and get better. We have challenges in this country that most other leagues don't have because they're a lot smaller. The travel is a lot different and different surfaces, different climates, all different types of things that a lot of other leagues don't have to worry about or concern themselves with. It's a lot harder for our fans to travel, right, which, which makes it difficult to have those rivalries that exist uh, in most other countries. And that's why the local ones are, are very special and, and because those fans can can really mix it up uh, yeah. in the stands. So, yeah, there's a lot of different things. But, yeah, I don't remember your question because I go off on tangents, as I do. But I kind of want to expand on this tangent a little bit because I think you're absolutely right in terms of, like, the, the American travel and, like, having to get from point A to point B and as well as it, it's just a little bit of different from what is going on in the, the European clubs because I think the American fans really have to have the passion, whereas you're kind of grown up into like a more of a club mentality and there is different kinds of problems that the American leagues have versus the European. And just to kind of expand on what you were saying earlier about the superstars uh, coming over, there's starting to be a trend, like especially with like Wayne Rooney, uh, Frank Lampard, and even Zlatan, they're coming to the MLS and then going back into Europe. Do you expect that to be a more of a globalized uh, soccer transition moving forward with like America being part of that conversation? Well, I think what was very interesting, and I think maybe this was a year and a half ago where Commissioner Don Garber came out and said, we're going to be a selling league now. And I was like, whoa, what is happening? For the first time ever, he's acknowledging that we're going to be a part of the global system in a really meaningful way. We're not going to try to bogart anything or limit anybody from maybe taking a dream move somewhere. I have a lot of former teammates. Uh, Taylor Twelman jumps out where he had a chance to go play in the Premier League uh, after the World Cup around 2006, and they wouldn't let him go. And I think, I think MLS would be more willing to do that now, and I think that's a very good trend because now I think you're going to attract different players. I think Miguel Almiron, who was at Atlanta, and then use that as a stepping stone to go to Newcastle is a really good example uh, of what the league can do and what opportunities it can provide. And, yeah, so I'm excited uh, about all of that. Um, what's interesting for me about MLS, the lack, I'd say, of American players, because now to get back to your question, I remembered it when Nate was talking, which players should people be looking out for? And as I went through my Rolodex of names, a lot of them aren't Americans. They're foreigners. And I'm okay with that, right? I mean, if you're talented, let's, let's get the best players over here that we can. And ultimately, when people complain about that or if American players aren't getting better opportunities or more opportunities, my answer is just play better. I remember when Jurgen Klinsmann broadened the player pool and was looking to Germany to get you know, German-Americans to potentially come in and everybody, not everybody, but there was some behind-the-scenes ruffles and maybe even on soccer Twitter or whatever that, that, well, why don't we focus on the guys that are here domestically? And I'm like, well, I don't care. Broaden the player pool. Just play better. If you have a problem with it, just play better. It's a, it's a really simple answer, but it cuts through all the crap. If, if you want opportunities, or and I had my opportunities. I made the most of them in 2006. In 2010, when I was trying to get onto the World Cup team under Bob Bradley, I didn't make the most of those opportunities. And that's it. I have to face up to that. Very similar to what I said at the beginning. My left foot wasn't good enough, and I had to face up to it and had to figure out a way to get better. I didn't figure that out in 2010. And it's, for me, a little bit more on the mental side than it was on anything physical. But you know, that's I don't know how much you want to unpack, and I don't know if I have to pay you guys for this therapy but um, <laughs> yeah there, there's a lot to unpack and, and I guess my big fear is are we doing enough to provide opportunities for these young Americans 
to come through the ranks in a meaningful way uh, and continue to to strengthen our national team player pool because as much as again as I don't mind the foreigners being here and I want our younger players to to play to play better as I said but can they get enough games can they get enough run of games to to really put their stamp on things and you know I still want to make sure that we have those opportunities but the infrastructure underneath MLS is starting to flourish uh, starting to become ro- more robust with the USL and and how they're organizing with uh, the championship league one and league two. Uh, you got Nisa that's popping in too. So it seems like a lot of guys are going to have chances to shine. And then it's obviously up to them to make that happen. But, but um, I just wish I could name a few American names when you say who are the players that people should watch out for. And right now our best young American players are playing over in Europe. Yeah. I mean, I want to touch a bit on that um, switching gears to the, you know, U S men's team. Um, you know, even if it's a little frustrating, we don't have these guys in the MLS. It is kind of exciting seeing all these young American players starting to show out. I mean, we've seen Pulisic, we've seen Tyler Adams, you know, Gio Reyna starting to get some tick in Dortmund. Um, you know, even Serginho Dest is one of the bigger transfer rumors going on right now. The future seems pretty bright for, you know, the American teams. How bright is it, do you think? Oh, man, I feel like we've been here before, right? Where <laughs> we have a crop of players that we're excited about. And maybe we do them a disservice by overhyping them in some ways, though we could argue that the hype is warranted given what we see, especially with Christian Pulisic here in the last few weeks, scoring some big goals and making a difference and fighting through adversity, even if, even if he's not starting for a very talented Chelsea team, but, but making his impact. Is he ready to, to lead the country? Is he ready to be the guy? Uh, I mean, I, in a lot of different ways, it looks like it. But when you put on your national team jersey, it's a little bit different. You know, the style of play is different. The, the opponents we're playing is different. Potentially the quality of your teammates are, are, are a little bit different. That, that's a, a different type of challenge. And it's a different type of mentality to take on that responsibility right now. Right now, Christian Pulisic doesn't have to be the guy for Chelsea, right? He, yeah. he, if he's the guy, if he steps up, great. Everybody loves Christian Pulisic. But what if he was expected to be that guy every single game? Can he handle that? That that's going to be the biggest thing, I think, for the biggest jump. We're going to see our players and our national team go when when not when we're hopeful that they make these 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 kind of jumps and and uh, play well and are, are decisive players. They're doing it week in and week out, and the expectations are there, and they're and they're not only meeting those expectations but but potentially exceeding them. And, and I think that's what really separates the the great great from from the very good. So that, for me, we're yet to be seen. This isn't a knock on, on Pulisic. He's very young, or, or Weston McKinney or Tyler Adams. But, you know, and I love all these guys, and I'm, and I'm hopeful for the future, but I guess I'm trying to temper expectations until I can see what they do uh, consistently for their club teams, of course. And there's obviously bright spots, and I'm excited about a lot of their performances. That, ne- that hasn't necessarily translated to a lot of success with the national team on a consistency basis. Again, we see little, little spots. Is that the coaching is it the, the team shape that we're in? Is it, uh, I don't know. There's, there's so much to, to unpack. The responsibility to be the guy uh, for your club team and, and to perform when everybody's counting on you is, is really important. It's almost like, can I, if, I, if I may, I'm going to digress into this, this issue with the Development Academy that got folded ultimately and now MLS is stepping in. I didn't like that the DA at that time, younger players, didn't allow their kids to play in high school. Now I understand it on paper. They don't want, because the level will be a little bit hit or miss. You know, I had guys on my high school team who could barely pass. Right. But you just, that, that was it. Those are the guys that tried out. 
You had to field the team and you had to figure out a way to get the most out of these guys. Now their spirit was there. They were good athletes. They were going to battle and fight for everything. So you knew what you were going to get out of them. But in terms of like settling the ball down and playing the beautiful game, probably not going to happen. Plus the fields in high school are shocking anyway. So maybe that was for the best. So that sounds like me in high school. I so yeah. <laughs> appreciate your honesty, Nate. So what I'll say <laughs> is what I think D the DA missed and maybe MLS will probably do the same. They're just going to kind of bypass the, the high school experience. It's really important for our DA players, some of the best players in the, in the, in the country to have that experience where they have to figure out how to get the most out of their other guys. When they play with their DA teams, everybody's pretty good, right? They aren't really forced to figure out ways to have success despite their teammates not being as good as them. Secondly, they're also going to be the guy. Like in high school, if they, if they don't play well, their team is probably going to lose. So they miss out on this huge, important development skill of being a leader and what that means and how to talk to your teammates and how to get the most and, and when to, to, when to criticize or, or when to be supportive, you miss out on so much of that because we don't allow these kids to play high school. I understand that the, the risk of them getting hurt is higher because one, the fields and two, the, the opposition probably isn't pretty, very good. They think they are better than they are. So they get tackled a lot more. We we can't keep all these kids in a bubble. Right, we we have to. They have to go out into the real world and learn. I used to go play with men's league teams when I was sixteen or seventeen, and let me tell you, those guys don't give a shit about your feelings or where <laughs> you play. Like you either can get the ball down and, and help them, or or you can't. And if you can't, they're not going to ask you to come out anymore. You have to have something to your game, and and, and a lot of that has, is mental toughness. And how are you going to create that? And how are you going to learn how to be a leader if you take away those opportunities? So now to tie that into Christian Pulisic, Weston McKinney, Tyler Adams. They have to be that guy for their club team where if you don't play well, your team is probably going to lose. Okay. <laughs> Schalke, I think Weston McKinney's learning that pretty a lot recently. So that sucks for him. But, but when they come to the national team, th that kind of level of responsibility is something they need to embrace and be the guys and step up and say, I'm going to own this responsibility as opposed to potentially, well, we have older guys here that can be that, if that makes any sense. And I, I just don't want them. I don't know if they've made that jump yet. And that's what I'm waiting for until I get really, really excited, Tyler and Nate, before I go, oh my God, these guys are the guys. When we have, you know, the guys that are coming from over from Europe and then the guys that are based in MLS and are domestic, and we're all having that confidence that, you know what, we're going to hold each other accountable. This is how we're going to play. We're going to, you know, take the game by the scruff of the neck, or if we're dealing with some adversity, we're going to lift each other up and figure it out. I just don't know if we're there yet collectively. And so, that's why I temper my expectations. I think these guys are tremendous players and they've got more talent in one foot than I had in my whole body and, and my, throughout my whole career. <laughs> that doesn't take away from the fact that when they play for our national team at the moment, it doesn't look like they've made that big, big giant step that I think that we need for them to be like, this is my national team. We see it in glimpses. I'm not saying this is a black or white thing. There, there's glimpses of it, of course. But that consistency is really what I think we're missing. And I think when you look back on the old national teams, with Claudio Reyna, Brian McBride, Eddie Pope, Casey Keller. Like you knew what you were going to get every single game. Those guys were going to bring it and take ownership and hold the people accountable. And I think we're, we're lacking a little bit of that uh, at the moment, but hopefully that changes. And I'm sure that it will. More of a technical skill kind of there, but it's a bit of more of a, like a mental grind and mental tenacity that the team needs to develop a bit further. Yes. That's what I would say. Thank you for summarizing. I could, yeah, I should have just said that in thirty seconds. I just want to <laughs> no, say it was great. five minutes of talking. No, it's great. I just wanted to make sure that I, I'm reading into what you're saying correctly. Yes, yes.
I, I do have a burning question for you, Jimmy. Uh, you know, with all your accomplishments in your uh, career, I got to know what was more satisfying for you, uh, scoring against Mexico or getting a clean tackle on Lionel Messi? <laughs> Uh, it's, what's interesting is that in hindsight, when I've watched Messi play now, I don't know how many times in person got to play against him, as you mentioned in the Copa America, there's not too many players to get a clean tackle on him. And now that he's developed into arguably the greatest of all time, that is pretty satisfying. And the fact that I, it was a well-timed one, it was clean, you know, it was nothing dirty about it. That would, that's incredibly satisfying. I do get a great deal of, of calm and peace i'm finding my 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 inner chi i think when i watch that one but scoring against mexico uh against your rival being named man of the match uh, was a big thrill for me my youth coach who i'd mentioned before was in the stands for that game oh no way so that's there was awesome. a lot of like yeah he had dri- driven up for it last minute he didn't tell me he was going to be there until afterwards so so to be able to have him there that i didn't know at the time but but you know, for him to be able to witness that, to see me, he started coaching me at age seven. So to see me from seven years old to that moment must have been a very cool feeling for him. And, and I owe him a great deal for putting me in that position and ultimately, you know, giving me the building blocks to, to grow and, and uh, be a good player. I don't, I don't think I answered your question. <laughs> I should run for office. I don't answer anybody's <laughs> questions directly. Not either. Uh, yeah, very political answers. But, you know, both are amazing accomplishments. Um, I think we got time for one more question from Nate, uh, something we try to ask all of our guests. Uh, Nate, you got it? So something we like to ask all of our guests and related to the enjoyment of watching soccer, uh, what was or what is now your favorite pub to watch the game at? <laughs> uh, that's a good question. I would say when I was in New York, it was the Football Factory, which is in Midtown, not too far from Times Square. I think it was... I didn't want to guess. It's in Midtown. The Football Factory was awesome. I got to host a, an event with Liverpool fans there. Robbie Fowler was there. Ian Rush uh, was there. That was Amazing. very cool to be, That's awesome. be on the stage. Yeah, it was really neat and, and to get to hang with those guys uh, behind the scenes. And Liverpool fans were rabid then. I can only imagine how apeshit crazy they're going now that they won the Premier League. Um, so, I've camped so out for the last two Champions League finals at like 6 a.m. Chicago time. No way. So, uh, That's awesome. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, you can imagine uh, how crazy those got. No, for sure. I was at the Champions League final where Liverpool beat Spurs, and it was kind of a boring oh, no. game, all things Sorry, considered. Nate. Let's not talk about that because I'm a Spurs fan. Yeah, no, I didn't bring that. I didn't know that, Nate, and I, uh, I'm i sorry for you. It's going to be a, it's a big struggle. Uh, that game actually, for, for the game itself, was kind of boring. Uh, I was hoping for a more exciting affair, but but it was very cool to be there in the city of Madrid when Liverpool fans were, were going crazy. But, yeah, so – um, it's very cool to see them win the league as well. But the, I live in Northern California now in San Francisco. Uh, Kizar Pub is probably the place, and that's a Liverpool bar as well, that I frequent the most. It's got a nice vibe and great people there. And uh, anytime you can watch a game with, with other fans that care about it as much as you do is always a special experience. Jimmy gave us two pubs of the week this week, so you know, doubling down. Jimmy, uh, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the show. Um, you know, as a show that's trying to make soccer a bit more popular in America, having, you know, one of the biggest ambassadors for the game on the show. Um, just awesome. Uh, Jimmy, anything you want to promote? No, I mean, if you, if you want, you're welcome to follow me at Jimmy Conrad on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, if that's your thing, or if that's your kid's thing, uh, YouTube, the Jimmy Conrad, um, what else? Twitch at Jimmy Conrad. I'm all over the place. So 
You, 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 you can't escape me if you're on social media. Jimmy, thanks so much again. I think Conrad Bolkenegger is definitely a guy that has to be a major target on this play. Number four for the United States. Landon sends it in. The header and that's it in the back of the net. The United States strikes. And it's Jimmy Conrad. Jimmy Conrad finds the net. One to nothing, USA. And that was Jimmy Conrad. Huge thanks to joining the FTFC here with us this week. It was such a pleasure and an honor having you here on the podcast. Uh, love to have you back anytime. And uh, thanks again. I- I'm really disappointed we stopped recording after Jimmy told you to suck it. Just real missed opportunity there. Yeah, re- real missed opportunity to hear Jimmy Conrad say, suck fat one, Nate. <laughs> hey, sometimes you deserve it, man, just like I do. Moving on, you know, our segment we always really enjoy around the net and just talking about some stuff we saw on the web. Obviously, the big news to talk about, uh, Dortmund is signing PSG right back Thomas Moynier, uh, 28-year-old defender on a four-year deal. It's funny it happens after we shit all over the Bundesliga, you know, no one but Bayern be able to get big players. Then meanwhile, you know, Dortmund actually makes a pretty great signing right here. Yeah, but then again, uh, as we said in our previous episode, Dortmund is the only other team that is consistently competitive with Bayern Munich. So if they were going to go to anywhere in the Bundesliga, I would put my money strongly on either one of those two teams. So I'm not surprised to hear that they're still getting some talent. And since we're expecting Halan to be bought out of the club, they're going to have a lot of extra money lying around so they can afford to make a trade like this. Moving on to the 2023 Women's World Cup, uh, you know, all American fans, eat, no matter how casual, imagine like 99% of them huge women's team fans. Uh, looks like the World Cup this year is going to be headed to Australia and New Zealand. Uh, that's a, that's pretty interesting to me. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to me as well. Um, we're seeing more of these multi-nation bids, which I think is a great thing. It helps include more parts of the world and hopefully spreads the joy of soccer to everyone around. But it makes more sense to me when there is literally a landlocked continent like United States, Mexico, and Canada bid, whereas these players are going to have to hop on the planes to fly between matches and let alone the traveling expenses for the fans at these matches. I could imagine are cheap as well. Yeah. Logistically, I I have more questions for the teams and players than the fans. I didn't even think about the fans. It's a really good point. It's really strange. Uh, One thing we do know though, for sure though, is that the women are just going to absolutely dominate because they're the best team in the world. Yeah. It's just going to be great seeing our, lovely women's national team back in action doing what they do best. And what they do best is dominate and embarrass everybody else. Kicking everyone's ass is the best way to put it. Um, I will say from a gambling perspective, you know, we're not going to have bets of the week this week, just too much going on, but I do want to touch on this gambling during the women's world cup and betting on the women against the spread. Every game, they still crushed it. What was it? 11, nothing against uh, Thailand. Just, the most dominant team to watch. Uh, really amazing. I'm excited to be watching them again in a couple of years. And shifting gears to the last major topic that we uncovered is one of our favorite soccer players is back. Arjen Robin. Super exciting, man. He is coming out of retirement to play for his Boytown team, uh, FC Groningen. Yeah, really exciting. Uh, we both grew up, you know, loved watching the guy. Uh, he actually started his youth career, 96 to 2000 with Groningen youth team. Moved up to the senior squad 2000 to 2002. So the fact that he's back is pretty amazing. Uh, 
he was last with Bayern Munich, uh, you know, just a year ago, but it seemed like he was kind of fading out. The fact that he's coming back is awesome. I remember him most notably from the World Cups, you know, just with the Netherlands. Um, just an absolutely dominant player. Uh, really excited to see what he can do. He is such a skilled and fun player to watch out on the pitch. He brings an intensity and just kind of like a optimistic anger, I would say, whenever he touches the ball. And I, I love watching like just his ferocious approach sometimes. And it makes sense that he would go back to his boyhood team. And I think it's kind of a good full circle for him in his career. And we, But I think it's a natural transition in this point in his career. He's He's got a few championships under his belt in the Bundesliga. And he has the ability to make a move to a club that he thinks he can actually make a difference in, even though he is within that oh, yeah. retirement stage of his life. Yeah, even at 36 years old, I'm just... I'm hoping he just absolutely dominates these other teams. Uh, it'd be great to see him rack up a ton of goals there. Uh, with that, Nate, uh, we got anything else to cover today? Just a few things to touch base on. Of course, we're going to talk about our pub of the week, or as we should say, pubs of the week. Thanks again, Jimmy Conrad, for giving us two great submissions. First, um, we want to cover the Football Factory in Midtown Manhattan in New York, New York. That's located at 6 West 33rd Street. If you ever find yourself in NYC, and secondly, we have Kazar's Pub. It's next to the Kazar Stadium, and that's located at 770 Stadium Street in San Francisco, California. I hope I pronounced that street correctly. <laughs> it might be Stanion. Cool. Well, if there's nothing else, Nate, I will leave it with the same thing we always leave it with. There is no room for racism.